This is the Tan Report. I'm your host, Han Trung. And this week on the podcast, I'm focusing on a relative newcomer to the New Orleans news market. It goes by the name of Verite News. It means truth. Yes, uh, truth, facts, and fairness. That's what we want to be perceived as. Those are the two men who've been with Verite News from its beginning in 2022. The newsroom they created may be young, but they're no strangers to the news biz in New Orleans. I'm Terry Bakke, was a 28-year veteran of the Times-Picayune slash NOLA.com, and I'm the editor-in-chief at Verite News. I'm David Francis, executive director of Verite News. I was formerly publisher at the Times-Picayune and NOLA Media Group. You heard how long Terry and David said they spent at the Times-Picayune. They were with the Picayune long enough to see it go through what many newspapers in America have gone through. Mass layoffs, mergers, and a move to digital media. To be fair, that's something practically every kind of traditional news outlet has experienced. Having spent 20-plus years in various newsrooms, I've seen it personally. But even social media and the technology companies behind them are not guaranteed to grow. More than 200,000 tech workers were laid off last year, and an estimated 32,000 more have been let go so far in 2024. Some of the layoffs are blamed on high inflation, artificial intelligence taking over certain jobs, and the hiring binges the tech companies went on during the pandemic. Whether it's old or new media, if they're an operation looking to make a profit, then they're constantly looking for ways to reduce cost. Here's David Francis. I think there are probably a number of factors. One, many of these major media organizations have carried debt on their books, which makes it difficult. They also have very deep structures. Uh, we talked about delaying ours, and it makes it a lot more efficient. And then they also have a profit-driven motive. Their shareholders want a return. So that puts even more pressure on you in terms of delivering a return, which means you've got to reduce your expenses because those revenues from the typical you know, retail outlets have gone away. And it used to be said, and it's probably not any different right now, it's like every dollar that used to go into the newspaper is now going into the Internet. But you're only getting ten cents on that dollar as the as the as the newspaper, for example. So, you know, those monies have shifted; they're not coming back. And if you want to get an investor return, you've got to cut your costs. So there's more pressure on them to create that profitability. For us, it's more or less simply trying to break even in what we do. Verite News is looking to break even because it's a nonprofit. In my 23 years of working in news and media, I've never worked for a place that wasn't profit driven. So I wanted to find out how a nonprofit newsroom plans to keep going when so many for-profit newsrooms have cut their staffs and budgets. I sat down with David Francis and Terry Bakke at Verite's newsroom in the Liberty Bank building on Canal Street. Here's Terry. Basically, we started this with just an idea and very little funding. And we actually got funding before we started up. So I think the norm is to to start it up, and then you get funding, right? So we, we kind of did it a bit backwards. When they started Verite News, they were pretty much building a newsroom from the ground up. We launched in June of 22 with just about three employees at the time, and we've grown to almost uh, 12 employees as of today. I also think it's critical to understand our relationship to Deep South Today, which is our fiscal sponsor, and our sister organization, uh, Mississippi Today. For us to start this organization, we sort of had the financial and support 
from an administrative standpoint, also from a financial standpoint. From the point of getting this initial office set up in the Liberty Bank building to finding the furniture, um, to working with an accounting individual to help us put together our books, it's extremely important to have that support from Deep South today. And I think also, which is, I think, one of the main reasons we were able to, I think, start up and start so fast was the relationships that we have within the journalism industry. We had lots of potential employees contacting us about joining us to work. But we were also respectful for, of the other media institutions that are in the city and not going after their employees. And we also had a sort of a different mindset. We wanted to be one of the most diverse media organizations in the city. We wanted to reflect the culture. We wanted to reflect the demographics of the city. And so it gave us a real opportunity to take our time and find the right employees. And we found, I think the initial employees that we found were, were very important to us in terms of the credibility, not only of the reporter, but the quality of the work that they do. So for us, it was, um, we had a little step up by working with Deep South today. And then our relationships allowed us to grant, get some grants early on from the Ford Foundation, American Journalism Project, and some of the other local foundations in the city because they recognized the work that we had done in our, in our previous lives at the timesforkeyandola.com. Did you guys really need to do this? I mean, you guys had been in the news industry for a long time. I'm making an assumption here. I don't think you all needed the money. But, you know, why, why Verite News? Why at that moment? What did you think that, you know, New Orleans needed at that point to launch an organization, a nonprofit like this? So, you know, I wasn't doing much of anything. I had just, just gotten a, a new grandson, and I was... Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. I was spending as much time with him as I possibly could. You know, David had served on boards. I was on a couple of boards. We were keeping ourselves occupied. But this was... I mean, it's not about money. It's an opportunity to do something in the last stage of your career. Actually having a last stage of a career that you thought likely was over. And you get this chance to to do something important. For you know, David and I both grew up in New Orleans. We both worked for the major publication in the state, the Times Picayune. And you know, we knew what we were missing when we were editors at the Times Picayune. We know the stories that sort of fell short. Um, Can you put a finer point on that? What kind of stories were you missing? I mean, I, I, I think we, you know, when you're a, a for-profit publication, you're sort of beholden to advertisers and subscribers, right? And you, you have to feed that beast a bit, right? For sure. So we knew that there were some communities, some disadvantaged communities that, and I'm not telling you we ignored at the Times Picayune these communities, but we didn't cover them as well as, you know, we could have, or as thoroughly as we could have. And this was an opportunity for us to do something in this last stage of our careers. I mean, I don't, we're not dying or anything, but <laughs> but um, but to do something important that we think is important that we think people will be proud of. Like my grandson, he'll be able to say, "Pop, pop, did this," you know. Yeah, and I think it's also what Terry was saying. We recognize that certain um, communities were not being covered as deeply or as intensely as they should be. And we also recognize what we saw in the industry, the decline in the for-profit media model. But at the time, when we had retired and 
you know, NOLA.com was, when we were there, was free. Now it's fallen under a paywall, and the paywall, along with a print subscription, is fairly significant. And it's, that's, that's not saying anything about how that media is being managed, that media company. It's talking more about the economics of the advertising model uh, that, that drives profitability for them. And so with that, they also have pressure on them in terms of personnel and how many people they can have in their newsroom. And you've seen this across the country. Just as recently, you've seen with Los Angeles Times, along with Sports Illustrated, have either laid off or just, or just completely shut down certain operations. So we saw that the coverages were going to be less and less within the city in areas that we thought were important, too important in the community that's more than 50% uh, African-American. So it gave us the opportunity to start focusing on some of those issues because if you look at what we do, we don't cover sports. We don't cover breaking crime stories. Um, we look for deeper stories around what's impacting the community and how we can best serve the community from bringing, we think, community leaders, politicians, uh, those who really care to bring them together to help solve some of the problems. So it's definitely a mission-based operation that we believe has real value, and that's why we, we step back into the business. But when you mentioned that you don't cover sports, you don't cover breaking crime news, mm-hmm. and this is just my unprofessional view that I see, especially when I'm just scrolling through social media, is that those two topics, generally speaking, at least within this market, are generally the ones that get the most engagement. And I'm wondering, as a newsroom, if you don't cover those, I don't want to say clickbait stories, but stories that get the most engagement, Mm -hmm. how do you stay viable? How do you stay on the radar of people and be in front of them as a news organization. You know, those stories are, are popular, right? So sports stories are popular, but everybody does sports stories. Crime is everywhere, right? Crime news is everywhere. It's on social Always media. the number one issue whenever we have a mayoral race, right. for sure. And we're not telling you we're not going to cover crime. We're just not going to go out and cover individual murders and individual fires, you know, um... I, I, I don't want to be a news outlet that puts the mugshots of young black men on on our website, you know, who were arrested for murders before they were ever convicted, you know, whether or not they will ever be convicted. We think that getting to the root of crime problems is a better story to tell, a more helpful story to tell, a, solu- a more solutions-based story to tell than just saying, hey, there was a murder in the Seventh Ward, right? Or there were a bunch of carjackings. I I think our goal is to try to find out why these kids turn to carjacking. Yeah, and I think also on top of that, uh, we did a lot of listening sessions going out in the community, listening to what people were saying about um, their community, how the community had been covered, what wasn't being covered out here. Um, And we learned several things. I think one of the keys is that People were just getting burned out on news because it was all they, they perceived it to be all about crime. So it became more depressing for them. Doom scrolling. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. It's exactly what's happening. So as we started looking at it, and people were telling us they'd like to hear more positive things happening in the city. We'd like to feel better about who we are and what we do. And so that's really about the narrative. And New Orleanians, we love our city, but we love to talk bad about our city. We talk about all the issues that we have. That's what we do. Um, and using the analogy of if I came home every day and spoke to my partner and always had something negative to say, 
that wouldn't be a good relationship. But if I talked about what's good is happening and then talked about some of the things that need to change, there'd be a different perception, there'd be a different relationship. And that's what we're trying to build out here. Let's talk about what we do right, what we still need to work on, and let's try to bring people together to solve them. So people want to do good in their community. They want to learn about their community. But you can't keep beating upside their head with negative imagery, negative stories out here because they'll shut it down. And that's what we're concerned about, people just not caring anymore and just giving up. But we want them to engage in a community. The best way of doing that is showing how things have changed or things can change with their involvement. Unlike a typical news outfit, Verite's priority isn't really about chasing stories with the highest appeal to the highest number of people. It's intentionally covering issues and stories that perhaps get overlooked by mainstream outlets. Terry and David are both black. And Verite prides itself as a nonprofit that's black-led. Here's a bit of a video on Verite's website explaining their mission. In a world where media is dominated by large corporations, it can be difficult to find news that reflects the voices and experiences of diverse communities. That's why we're proud to introduce Verite News, our black-led New Orleans nonprofit newsroom with free and accessible content to everyone. We are committed to providing news coverage that's unbiased, accurate, and important to the communities we live in. Our nonprofit status means that we're not beholden to corporate interests or advertisers, so we focus on the stories that matter most to you. Our team of dedicated journalists is made up of people from all backgrounds and experiences. We believe that by amplifying the voices of underrepresented communities, we can help create a more equitable society. And we are also training, developing, and mentoring the next generation of minority journalists. Verite is dedicated. At a time when the word diversity has been highly politicized, Verite views diversity as a central part of its operation because of the audience it's trying to reach. We're making a significant effort at reaching communities that don't feel like news organizations are speaking for them. You know, it's important that what we do is free, right? Mm -hmm. It's important for us to be able to be read. Much of the communities that we're focused on can't, you know, they can't afford it subscriptions. To well, things. let's name them. I mean, you, you, you refer to communities. We're talking about the black community, Hispanic. I mean, I'm just looking at your news <coughs> and it seems to reflect the communities that I believe that you're targeting. The black community, the Asian community, mm -hmm. Hispanic. Mm -hmm. And it's LGBTQ community. You got to remember too, I mean, um, those communities, not from an economic standpoint, but the, the coverages that those communities and issues that they're facing um, just really weren't being covered. And I'll give you an example. One of the stories we ran is about hurricane preparedness plans for the LGBT community. And I would never have thought there's a different set of plans, but it was almost like the Green Book, if you recall, for African Americans traveling through the South. There's certain things that they experience that others do not. So for us to publish something like this could validate what we're talking about, providing information that's relevant and needed and sometimes just overlooked in other, in other mediums. We also have a, you know, we have a Native American columnist, right, who contributes a column every month. And if something significant happens in that community, then she'll write a column, you know, a few more columns for us. David and Terry told me being a young newsroom comes with its challenges. 
Brand recognition, name recognition always helps when you're calling people to, to do stories. Was that a challenge for you to get people to say, okay, I'll trust you with my story? In the beginning, a huge challenge. Uh, sometimes it's still a challenge. Um, but in the beginning, you know, we sat here and we had reporters call people, uh, sources, and, and they would tell them, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm such and such from... Verite News, and you know the person on the other end of the line would say, "What the hell is Verite News?" Right? Mm-hmm. Who the hell is Verite News? You know, over time, as we worked and got more stories out there and did more stories that became noticed to folks in New Orleans, that has fallen by the wayside. Now you can, you know, most people know who we are. Terry and David drew on their experience at the Picayune and applied some of the lessons learned to what they're doing now at Verite. The only difference about this is, you know, when we were at the Times Picayune, we didn't really worry about much of anything. We, I would go to work, sit at my desk, and start working. Now, you know, we had to create this, and that was that was tough. Um, it, it was from it, the ground up. Yeah. From the ground up. Right. Literally had to figure out where we were going to work, how we were going to work. Hey, how do you build a website, right? (laughs) I had no idea. I think all of the experience from our time at the Picayune was incredibly important to to come in here and doing what we do now. And honestly, it was fun then, and, and it's even more fun now. Yeah, I mean, you know, you had a brand that we were there celebrated 175 years. You had a brand that, when it changed from seven days to three days, almost caused riots in the street in the distribution model. I would tell you, when that occurred in other cities, when they cut the circulation from seven to three or less than that, there were not the same sort of responses from the community. So we knew we had that kind of relationship with the community. We were still under, you know, financial pressure like any newspaper was at that point in time and, and the company, particularly one trying to transition to the digital model. So there's a lot of things that we learned as part of that. And that allowed us when we came here, I think, to avoid a lot of missteps that may have, may have occurred if we had not experienced that. They worked with some very good people uh, in learning how to, learning how to run a, a, an operation, a media company. What's interesting to me is to see two newspaper veterans carving out a niche in digital news. The old media model of reading a newspaper is just not relevant to somebody who's 25 or 30 younger. They have basically probably have never opened a newspaper before. They're digital natives, yeah, they're really. digital natives all together, and they're <coughs> of the mindset that everything online should be free. So it's difficult. So them paying for it or being able to afford to pay for um, content that comes behind a news wall is difficult. Secondly, the way they want to receive their content is much, much different than somebody in their 50s and 60s, quite frankly. They're looking for a video format. So what we've developed, we're taking the stories that, you know, take a thousand-word story that we think is very relevant to a younger generation, generational person to understand, and put into a video format, a 90-second video format called uh, Porch Poppy. And so what it takes is those key elements from that story distills it into that sort of a sound bite so they can pick up the key details from it. Now, the hope is down the line that not only will they pay attention to that particular subject matter, but they'll come back and read a little bit deeper to understand better how it impacts them and may impact others. So we're trying to find a way to bring them into hardcore news and doing the way that they like to consume it. 
So that's important to us also, getting a younger generation deeply engaged in the community. What I also find interesting is how modern media is overlapping. While it could be easy to think that an online news organization which prioritizes underserved communities would view traditional media as the evil big brother, Verite is looking for collaborations. And I think in a crowded space like you have in the media in this town, it's crowded, but there's certain niches like we're trying to cover, they just aren't really covered in the way it should be. There were opportunities to partner, and I think Fox 8 was a real opportunity for us. Even though Verite operates in a specific lane of news, it never hurts to raise the profile of your content and coverage. Shortly after Verite launched, it teamed up with Fox 8, the ratings leader in New Orleans local TV news. Fox 8 is partnering with Verite, a new nonprofit newsroom focused on serving underprivileged communities of New Orleans. Joining us this morning is Terry Bakke. Increasingly, Verite. Verite's reporters are appearing on Fox 8's news. Louisiana voters chose a new direction when they picked Jeff Landry as governor, but transgender activists fear a Landry governorship will be, as one put it, devastating to their cause. Drew Costley wrote about that for Verite News and joins us now with um, what the issue are. Good morning to you. Good morning. I mean, part of Verite's mission is to give voice to communities that, that don't always get a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. um, so what are you hearing from these folks? Yeah, I mean, Verite's mission is core mission. It's like our, our whole mission is to give voice to communities that don't typically have a so voice here in Louisiana. It. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> um, but we're, what we're hearing is that folks are, yeah, folks are devastated. Louisiana had been. When I looked at some of the clips online, it, it struck me as interesting because here as a nonprofit, you partner or you kind of utilize mainstream media and more established medium as local television is to get your message out. But I'm wondering, does that go against what your mission is, is to play the niche and be in that lane? And I'm wondering, like, how does the partnership or how does getting to Fox 8 kind of work within that frame of your what vision I, statement. What I think is that Fox 8 appreciates that we are niche, right? And it gives them the opportunity to uh, have folks on their newscasts who are talking about stuff that they might not be able to cover. Especially because newsrooms are strapped for resources. Every newsroom is strapped for, for, <coughs> for bodies now. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, the, the only way to, to, to actually cover a lot of stuff is to do it through partnerships. I mean, you know, you have to be able to work with people. And when you work with people, you combine resources and you're likely going to do a better job and you're likely going to be exposed to more folks. Yeah, I mean, the key is that there are distribution channels. There's TV and there's radio. There's online digital, right? So people consuming content in the various mediums, and you want to catch them. And people have, a, have affinities, have loyalties, loyalties to, like, Fox 8 as opposed to WDSU at that, you know, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning hour. So um, you want to be able to reach that audience. And for us, you know, Fox 8 has a built-in audience, like many of the TV, local TV stations do, which covers the seven parish area, even broader than that. So you're getting that distribution channel, and that's really what you want. There's no change in the type of content we want to produce, and there's no sort of change or modification of our stance when we go onto these various media, media outlets to share our message. 
because we're talking about the stories that were written and just taking that opportunity to reach a different audience that may not be looking at us online, but hopefully we can bring them to our website to see more about what we do. And when we run a story that Fox 8 thinks is a good story, they'll put it on their website or put it on their broadcast, right? Um, We have a relationship with the Louisiana Illuminator and uh, Baton Rouge covering the Capitol. We we don't have the resources to cover the Capitol, but we have a partnership and a friendship with the Louisiana Illuminator, and we run their stuff, and we and they run our stuff. So, yeah, and and that's that's important too because you're seeing now certain sort of alliances around with with other nonprofits who see you know the free and accessible content and know that we may be doing the similar type of work that they do in this city. And so they will share our content, we will share some of their content. And that helps us all in terms of trying to think about what are the things that are impacting the communities that we're not aware of, but others may be solving it uh, in their community. So it's extremely helpful with that. So these, these partnerships, these relationships, these alliances, I think benefit us all, quite frankly. So, even if a Fox 8 viewer wasn't aware or didn't care about Verite's mission, there's a chance they could come across its content when they watch the segments with Verite's reporters. In my opinion, it offers this unique snapshot of the mosaic of modern media, where local TV news, with its emphasis on breaking news and ratings, is partnering with a small nonprofit newsroom to expand its coverage. Now, Verite may be different from for-profit newsrooms, but a lot of its concerns you could find in any news operation, or business for that matter. Chief among them is finding enough money to pay your employees and pay your bills. But sustainability is, a, is always going to be a big question. You need to raise membership. We say membership is not a subscription. It is people willing to give, you know, that 10 or $20 a month or make a $500 contribution. So that sustainability is going to be based on our ability to connect with the community out here. And in communities like ours, this is not in Atlanta, you know, where there is a significant amount of wealth, particularly in the African-American community and minority communities, period. This is a poor community. So it's a bigger challenge for us raising the monies that we need. But that's not a comment on the quality of what we do or the need to produce what we're producing out here. And what we've learned is when we do good work, people want to donate to help us continue to do the good work, Mm -hmm. right? Whether it's major philanthropy who like the fact that we're covering certain communities in New Orleans, who like the fact that we're covering New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Or it's Tom in Treme who likes us and gives us, you know, $25 a month. Is is that a constant in in your day-to-day or in your operations now? I mean, are donations important? Every day. (laughs) Every day. I mean, you, you can't take a day off. The expenses still require to be paid. Lights need, need to stay on. So it's a, it's a constant battle. It's a, it's a responsibility that every business, every operation has. Uh, you've got to continue to raise money for it. Mm-hmm. It's just a different pressure. And where can people donate? Go straight to the website, go to our app, you hit the donate button, okay. and it's very easily done nowadays. <laughs> and if they need to, they can call me directly. They have to have a conversation or emails. They'll no, pick up a check. They'll pick up a check. That's not a problem. But, it, you know, it's, it's just important that you connect and understand what, what people want. We are going to try to provide what we think is important to the community. When I first came to New Orleans more than 20 years ago, there were no nonprofit newsrooms in Louisiana that I could remember. 
In 2010, the lens came online, according to its website, as quote, the New Orleans area's first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom, end quote. Then in 2020, the Louisiana Illuminator, based in Baton Rouge, was established as a nonprofit news organization. And now there's Verity News in New Orleans. I'm not sure if anybody in the news industry knows what the next 10 years will look like. But I will say it's refreshing to hear about journalists who are not prioritizing likes, shares, and views. I just hope it's something that can last. In New Orleans, I'm Tan Trung for WWL Radio.